Yes. All right, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this time we have of fellowship. We thank you that we have made it this far through the book of Revelation uh, to chapter 14. And we thank you for the little break we're going to take for the next month. We ask that it be a blessing to us all. We pray that you give us understanding, that you bring questions to mind, and uh, that you bring uh, answers, if not at least responses, um, to my mind. So ask all these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen. <clears throat> all right. So we're jumping back 12 months and uh, doing a review of what we did the whole last year, but hopefully we're going to be able to move pretty quickly through this. So our first little bit is Revelation 1 through 3. Um, so if you remember back all those months, um, the book of Revelation is divided into three sections the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will come after those things. And that is the things that were before the church, the things during the church, and the things that will happen once the church is gone. Uh, mm -hmm. So chapters 1 through 3 cover the first two sections of Revelation, and then chapters 14 through 22 are the third section of Revelation. So the third section is obviously the, the longest. Um, now, this is just a review, so we're not going to go in-depth on anything, really. We're just going to uh, gloss over the top of things and hopefully bring back questions that bring back questions that maybe were on your mind, but you never got answered. Uh, <clears throat> so we'll first look at the vision that John the Baptist, or John uh, the Apostle, had on the island of Patmos. So first... John was on Patmos. We learn this from verse 9 of chapter 1. He was imprisoned there by Emperor Domitian, who was the younger brother of uh, Titus, who was the emperor who, uh, who sacked Jerusalem and took back all of the riches and gold from the temple in order to build the Colosseum. So this was all happening around the time uh, John was... Uh, pastor at Ephesus, and then he was uh, later imprisoned on the island by the uh, by the younger brother of Titus, Domitian. <clears throat> and uh, for the context of when this happened as well, what was going on with the church, they were experiencing intense persecution, both religious and political, uh, as can be seen by Domitian's persecution of uh, the Jews but uh, or the Jews and the Christians. But this political persecution was actually relatively new at the end of the first century. The first century was primarily persecution from the Judaizers, um, also possibly called Nicolaitans, um, who fell under the Galatian heresy that believed that all, uh, that the church was not legitimate, that they had to come under the Jewish religion in order to be uh, people of God. Um, so a lot of the first part of Revelation, chapters two and three, are going to uh, cover that issue that the church was facing. <clears throat> so when John was on this island of Patmos, he received a vision from Jesus Christ, actually a vision of and from Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And when he sees him, he says, he sees one like a son of man. Now, this would be confusing if we uh, don't have the gospel from John and his other epistles. John uses this term, son of man, for Jesus, uh, because 
this is the term that Jesus used for himself. Um, in fact, this was Jesus' favorite term for himself because it relates him to the promise of the coming seed and also to his um, Davidic uh, history, that he is the seed of David as well. So this title, uh, Son of Man, is both a humble title, but it also connects him um, as the one who can come and fulfill the prophecies uh, given through Israel. So this Son of Man is an important title for Jesus Christ because here he comes to take the throne of this world and he has to be the Son of Man in order to do that. Uh, the description of Jesus Christ, uh, John gives us a lengthy description um, of Christ. <clears throat> uh, first, he tells us where he is. He is standing among golden lampstands. Those will later be identified for us as the seven churches in Asia Minor. He's wearing a long white robe, and he's wearing a golden sash, and this is, uh, this is indicative of purity, also his position as priest um, currently, but it has an indication by his gold sash being around his chest rather than his waist uh, that perhaps he is stepping into a kingly role now rather than just a priestly role. Um, his hair was white, white like snow, again, purity, and his eyes are a flame of fire. He is coming in judgment. <clears throat> his feet are burnished bronze as if they had just come out of the furnace. Now, this became uh, particularly poignant for us as we looked at the great wine press in chapter 14. We saw that he is prepared for judgment, but he's also prepared to enact judgment. Um, this is the wine press of the Lord. <clears throat> his voice sounds like many waters. Uh, this is... Um, this is a description of the voice of God throughout all of scripture. Uh, often it'll say that his voice sounds like many waters. Now this could be powerful like a rain or like a, like a waterfall or beautiful like falling rain. Um, I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, a rainstorm can be quite loud as well. So I like to think of it as a rainstorm. <clears throat> it says that Christ is holding seven stars in his right hand. And again, later, that is going to be identified for us as the seven angels of the seven churches. Um, from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, this, again, is indicative of his judgment, that he is coming to enact righteous judgment. This sword is not a sword that is a conquering sword, but one that divides um, two things apart, mm -hmm. such as from Hebrews 4.12, where it says... Uh, it says that he is able to divide soul from spirit. <clears throat> and his face shines like the sun. So again, that, uh, that sounds a lot to us, like, uh, like Matthew 17, where we see his transfiguration and he, uh, he shines like the sun. Also Moses' face back in Exodus when he was face-to-face -face with God on Mount Sinai. And he came down from the mountain, his face shone like the sun. Um, and this is his revealed glory. While he was on earth, his glory was veiled by his human body. Uh, and for a moment in the transfiguration, that veil fell off. Uh, but he took it back up again in order to fulfill his purposes on this earth. But <clears throat> when he uh, was transfigured in front of Peter, John, and James, he told them that they, had, they would see him coming with his kingdom um, before they passed away. And that transfiguration fulfilled that prophecy where they saw him as he is now coming with his kingdom. <clears throat> so John's response to this incredible vision was to fall on his feet like a dead man. And when we looked at this um, going verse by verse, 
we went and found that almost every prophet had the same response to coming face to face with God. So this uh, vision of Jesus Christ clearly identifies him as Jesus Christ, the God man. <clears throat> Oops, this should be interpretation. So in, uh, in chapter one, Jesus does interpret certain symbols for us. He says the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, um, angels means messengers in the Greek. In fact, it's used equally for angelic beings as it is for uh, human messengers. And it's most likely here that these angels are not angelic angels, but either messengers being couriers carrying this letter to the seven churches or more likely uh, these are elders over that church, the teaching elders, perhaps. Uh, John would have been, uh, prior to his imprisonment, an angel over the church of Ephesus being its uh, pastor, although they didn't really have pastors per se back then, but they did have elders. Uh, the seven lampstands are identified as the seven churches. <clears throat> and then Christ gives him a command to write the things that he is going to see. Now, Daniel is given similar commands, but he was told to seal up the prophecies until the last days. This is the unsealing of Daniel's prophecies. This is what was hidden uh, from, the, uh, from the generations between Daniel and John. But there are still some things that are going to be hidden. We'll see in chapter 10 that there is still a revelation that John received that he was not allowed to write. But basically, John is supposed to write the things which he, which, um, he has seen the things which are and the things which will take place um, after those things. Finally, there is a blessing for those who read, hear, and heed um, the book of Revelation. Revelation 1, 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is the only book in the entire canon with this kind of a blessing. Um, so this, this is the most important book. Uh, for the church to read and understand and to take to heart. And unfortunately, it is ignored um, by most Christians. <clears throat> All right, moving on here to chapter uh, chapters two and three, we have um, the message that Jesus Christ himself brought for these seven churches. And although they are going to seven historical uh, churches with definite location, the message is for all the churches. It'll address at the end the overcomers. And these overcomers are us. They're all those who have been saved um, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, so these messages to the seven churches are as much for us as they were for those churches, though there are some things um, <clears throat> that uh, may be a little more specific to them. Uh, we are still able to uh, appropriate these messages in a way that we can't um, certain Old Testament books or even the Gospels. So this, these should be epistles that uh, we take to heart. Um, and these are epistles as well. Uh, there are not just the epistles of Paul, uh, Peter, James, and John, but there are also seven epistles of Jesus Christ. And uh, that is what these are. <clears throat> they come in, uh, actually, the, a better outline for these epistles um, has seven points, but I wanted to keep it simple. Um, so we're going to look at the address, the general message that Jesus Christ is bringing, and then the promise to those um, who he's bringing these messages to. So first, the address. Um, <clears throat> when he um, addresses these churches, he also identifies himself with certain aspects of what John saw in his vision. 
Um, and these would point towards certain, uh, either certain problems or certain needs um, that these churches would have. Um, so for example, in Ephesus, um, Jesus Christ is the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, and he is the one who stands amid the seven lampstands. Now, Ephesus is, the, is uh, the church we probably have the most information about uh, in the entire Bible. Uh, John was the pastor of Ephesus. It's likely that his three epistles were all written to the people at Ephesus. Ephesus is spoken of in many other uh, epistles as well as in the book of Acts. So we have lots of information about Ephesus, not as much about these other churches. Laodicea is probably the next best known. Um, in fact, we do have an epistle written to Laodicea, but it was written also to Colossea. So the book of Colossians is identified as a book to first to Colossea, but also to Laodicea. Uh, <clears throat> but these addresses uh, seven stars and seven lampstands for Smyrna. He's the first and the last, the one who was dead and the one who lives. Smyrna faces a lot of uh, persecution, even martyrdoms. So it is important that Jesus Christ is the one who died and comes to life because through that they have the promise of resurrection as well, as do we. Uh, for Pergamum, he's the one with a sharp two-edged sword. Remember, this is... Uh, is uh, dividing between soul and spirit. This is his ability to judge uh, the thoughts and intentions. Uh, and he is going to exercise that judgment in Pergamum, where there are some who are faithful and some who are not. Uh, in Thyatira, it says he is the son of God. Before we saw the son of man, I think this is um, restating who he is as the son of God because they are going after. Um, other winds of doctrine, and he is reminding them that he is the son of God. Uh, <clears throat> he has eyes like fire. He's coming for judgment and feet like bronze. He's able to enact that judgment. Uh, mm -hmm. Thyatira actually has the most uh, drastic um, rebuke of all of these churches. Laodicea, we often point to as the worst off of all these churches. It might be in the worst condition because it has little um, little fire to uh, return to to uh, <clears throat> to the Lord, uh, but Thyatira is definitely in a worse situation, having gone off gone off after different doctrines, where Laodicea just gave up caring. Uh, Sardis, it says uh, he addresses himself as the one with the seven spirits and the seven stars. Uh, <clears throat> these seven spirits, we'll remember, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Philadelphia, he says he is the holy one, the true one, the one with the keys of David and the one who opens and shuts. Now, Philadelphia is um, often identified just by its name. They'll go to the etymology and say, well, this is the city of brotherly love. Um, and it is important that there isn't a rebuke to this church. Uh, <clears throat> but this isn't a church that was just perfect. This is a church, again, that was coming under lots of persecution. But where Smyrna's persecution was probably more um, political, Philadelphia's persecution was very religious. They had more problems with the Judaizers than most others. In fact, this uh, reminder that he is the one with the keys of David, he's the one who opens and shuts, is reminding them that he is the one who opened access to the church for them, that Gentiles do not have to become Jews in order to be saved. 
Um, so he is reminding them that he has opened the door to the Gentiles and no one can shut that door. For Laodicea, he says that he is the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning and uh, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this doesn't mean he's the first creation of God. That means he is the progenitor of the creation of God, that uh, by him and through him, all things came into being. <clears throat> okay, the messages to these seven churches. To Ephesus, uh, in all these, he says, I know certain things about you, but you need to change certain things. Uh, for Ephesus, he says he knows their good uh, about their good doctrines and also their good works, but the problem is they've become a loveless church. Uh, they've left their first loves, um, so he tells them to remember back to that first love that they had, that first love probably of the gospel, uh, that first love that uh, would make them probably more loving towards others rather than uh, legalistic, perhaps. Um, for Smyrna, he says he knows their tribulation. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, but he also knows that they are rich. So despite their poverty in the world, they are rich in faith. They are rich in their um, treasures being stored up in heaven. His command to them is to persevere through that. There are rewards waiting for those who persevere. Uh, whereas those who fail to persevere don't lose their salvation. They may lose rewards. Um, Pergamum, uh, Christ says he knows where they live, that they live at the, uh, in the, is it the throne or the seat of, says of Pergamum? Um, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This doesn't mean they've taken up residence by the throne of Satan, but rather that Pergamum itself, if you remember, there's a big uh, temple at the top of a hill there, and that was uh, probably what Christ is referring to, they are in the center of the occult religions here. So Christ says, I know you're in a bad neighborhood, basically. Uh, <clears throat> but the problem isn't where they live. The problem is that they've let where they live get to them. The problem is that they've let it compromise their doctrine. So he's telling them to repent. He wants them to change their mind about the doctrines that they have embraced. In Thyatira, he says, uh, I know your, that you love, I know that you have faith, I know that you have good service, I know that you have perseverance, but the problem is, despite all the good that Thyatira has, they have again embraced false doctrines, and in fact, they have allowed um, licentiousness uh, into, the, into their doctrine so that they tolerate this woman called Jezebel. Now, this was probably either the wife of an elder or um, someone that they had accepted as an elder, um, though they knew not to accept female elders. That might be part of the problem here. Uh, <clears throat> but the problem is she's calling herself a prophetess, but she is not from the Lord. She hasn't been sent from him as a prophetess. Now, women could be prophets. Uh, there were uh, plenty of female prophets we could point back to. None come to mind right now, but I know there's two in the book of um, Judges. But uh, Thyatira, as I said, was the worst off because he doesn't give them a command to repent. He says they've already had their opportunity to repent. But not every single person in Thyatira has gone with this uh, woman Jezebel. So he is saying for those who have not soiled themselves with this woman, there still is time to repent. But for those who have, uh, time is up, essentially. 
So this is, um, I think, the harshest of the seven letters. Sardis, um, he says that they have good deeds, but their deeds are incomplete before the Lord. Um, he wants them to wake up. This is kind of similar to, um, to Laodicea's, where they need to be hot or cold, uh, either refreshing or, or warm. Uh, but <clears throat> here, Sardis is asleep at the wheel. They have uh, responsibilities, they have duties here as um, believers left in this world to share the gospel, and they are not doing so. Um, so their deeds are incomplete. They need to strengthen what is dying. Uh, what they do have is in the process of dying, and they need to um, turn back towards it. They need to change their mind about the direction that they're headed and uh, come back to the Lord. For Philadelphia, again, it says that they're Deeds are known. God knows um, what they are up to. Although they have little power, they have power enough through Jesus Christ because they have salvation. Salvation has been opened to them and no one can close it off to them. They were probably um, weak in power because they had believed uh, these Judaizers who were coming in and telling them that they needed other things for their salvation besides Jesus Christ. And finally, Laodicea. Um, whose deeds were known, uh, the problem was that they were lukewarm. Uh, remember, it's not a problem that they need to be warm, but they were cold. It was that they needed to be warm or cold, and that doesn't mean you need to fully turn away from me or you need to fully turn towards me. One would be better than the other. But warm and cold both had different purposes. Warm water has its purpose, and cold water has its purpose. Not all Christians, not all churches are used for the same purposes, but the problem was they weren't being used at all. Um, just like the waters that would come down uh, into Laodicea, uh, the cold water that would run in by the time it got to Laodicea was no longer cold, and the warm water that would run in uh, was no longer warm. So it was lukewarm and good for nothing. <clears throat> but each one of these churches ends with a promise. And this is a promise to the overcomers. We're going to look at what the overcomers are at the end of this little section. But first, uh, we want to look at the promises. So to Ephesus, he promises that they will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, remember, this says to the overcomers, they will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. For Smyrna, they had something for the overcomers, but also for the faithful. For the faithful, they would receive the crown of life. For the overcomers, they would not be hurt by the second death. For Pergamum, they would receive the hidden manna, a white stone with a new name that only Christ knows. For Thyatira, again, it was divided into two. Those who overcome and those who uh, keep good deeds will receive authority over the nations, um, and then they'll receive the morning star. Uh, that morning star, remember, is Jesus Christ. Sardis, they will receive white garments, a permanent name in the book of life. It says it will not be erased. Um, and they will be confessed by Christ in the presence of God and the angels. For Philadelphia, again, it's split into two. When they hold fast to what they have, they will keep their crown. And to the overcomers, they will be a permanent pillar in the temple. They will be marked with the name of God, the new Jerusalem, and Jesus Christ. It's like uh, stamping a return sticker on your luggage. Um, God's name, the, their city, location, and uh, Christ will all be uh, written on them. 
and for Laodicea, they will sit with Christ on his throne, the overcomers. <clears throat> now, it's important here that we rightly divide where it says the faithful will keep their crown of life. The, um, the overcomer and the one who keeps his deeds will have authority in the kingdom. And the one who holds fast will keep his crown. Two of these are related to crowns. Again, that is rewards. When we get to heaven, we will be judged for our, uh, for our actions here on earth, whether or not we were allowed, we allowed the Holy Spirit to use us for good deeds will determine our rewards in heaven. As well, those who, uh, those who keep their good deeds, not by uh, good works of their own. Remember, Isaiah says even the uh, righteous deeds, even our righteous deeds are filthy rags. But the Lord's righteous deeds through us, those that we allow him to do through us, not those that we do by our own power, those bring rewards in heaven. And those who, uh, who persevere to the end will be given greater authority in the kingdom. So we've got two things playing together here. We've got perseverance, but we also have simple faith. And even our perseverance is done through faith. Without faith, we can't persevere. Without faith, we can't do anything. But there is a difference between uh, faith that saves and faith that sanctifies. It's the same faith, but one must endure and the other um, the other seals us for eternity at the moment of faith so at the moment of faith we become overcomers first john 5 4 says for whatever is born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that the that has overcome the world and that is our faith faith alone makes you an overcomer now when you continue in faith and are used by christ through your faith uh, that is where you build rewards in heaven.